If you turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to start in John 1. John chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to be starting today. And today, I guess first of all, you should know, um, I had a lot, and we're still in our series, our Follow Me series. So if you hadn't heard those, they're, they're all up, but we're doing services on different ones of the disciples. So today we're going to be talking about John. And I had a lot to talk about, about John. So I had to, even this morning, I had to keep taking parts and sections out. So I encourage you to go study the life of John. Read about John. Read some of his five books that he wrote in the Bible. That's pretty impressive right there. He's got five books. But go read and study the life of John because I believe it will bless you. And I don't have enough time to get into all of that because... God was just speaking so much to me through his life. But today I want to talk to you about some foot races and thunder and confidence. We're talking about John. You may know him as John the Beloved. John, the one that Jesus loved. You ever heard him called that? He called himself that. Six times in his gospel he referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved or the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's known as the apostle of love. That's what they know him as. That's the label that's on him. So John the beloved, the one that Jesus loved, the apostle of love. He tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love and if God loved us, then we should love each other. He's the one that wrote John 3.16, maybe the most famous Bible verse in the world. For God so loved the world. And that loved is the agape love, God's love or a perfect love. John was Jesus' best friend. And he wrote five books of the Bible. And he was the only one of the disciples that did not die as a martyr. Who wasn't murdered for his faith. The only one. Like he's the only one that ended up dying of old age. All the rest of them got killed. All the rest of them got killed a long time before, before John. He lived out his life. He was, you may have heard that he was boiled in oil, which he was. And he survived. And so they threw him on the Isle of Patmos, which was a prison. The Romans would use it as this little island where they would take prisoners and they would put them on there. And on the Isle of Patmos, John, the old man, wrote the book of Revelation. And then he finally got off of the Isle of Patmos and got to go back home to Ephesus. Ephesus is where John lived. And he went back home to Ephesus, and then the, the, most of the scholars agree that back at home in Ephesus is where he wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, his three epistles to the church, while pastoring and building a large Christian faith community there in Ephesus. He also took care of Mary, Jesus' mother. Remember on the cross, John was the only one there. All right, because they were all scared and hiding. Peter watched like some of the trial and some of the stuff from a distance, but he was scared to even get close. John wasn't scared. John was the only one that wasn't scared. It was the women and John. John was risking being crucified himself by being there that day. If he was recognized or called out as one of the disciples, it would have been looked at as a militant threat because that's what Jesus was being killed for, was claiming to be the king. And so John could have been killed, but he didn't care. He was there. So there are a lot of different reasons why Jesus may have looked down off the cross and said, Hey, John, behold your mother, Mary, behold your son, take care of her. Because Mary had other siblings like James that wrote the book of the Bible, James, that was Jesus' brother, so you think he could have taken care of his mother? Or why John more than one of the others? Well, 
Maybe it was because Jesus knew that all of them were going to get killed pretty soon. John was actually going to live long enough to... But John was Jesus' best friend. And John took Mary to live with him in Ephesus. And she was buried there as well. He lived to the age of 94. Between 94 and 100. There's a couple of different... People believe different. But it was between 94 to 100 years old. Before he finally died. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels, meaning they're very similar. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell a lot of the same stories. Some of the wording is even exactly the same in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's why they're known as the synoptic gospels, because they're so similar. And they were written shortly after Jesus died on the cross, not that long after. John is so different. John's, John's gospel is like, it's like Matthew, Mark, and Luke are over here, and then they consider John's gospel to be just so different in the way it was written, the things that were placed in there. Like, it's completely different, and it's over here. And after doing a little bit of studying and looking into it, it makes sense. You see, John didn't write his gospel until 50 years after the cross. 50 years later. Then John read all three of the other Gospels by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John decided to try to fill in the blanks, to connect the dots, if you will, to put in the important things that these other three had left out, that they forgot about. John's Gospel was, was different in his approach and in his writing and in his message as he tried to connect the dots. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us stories and facts about what happened in the life of Jesus. John wants us to feel. He wants us to know who Jesus was, not just know about Jesus or the things that he did. But John tries to show us who he was. John was very philosophical. His education and his Greek influence is very evident. He uses words like, they're translated in our English words, but all throughout his book he uses words like ego, me, and logos, which are Greek words. Look how he starts his book in John 1 verse 1 this is, this is how he starts it out you know some of the other gospels they start out with baby Jesus in a manger and all, he skips baby Jesus and goes straight to adult Jesus but he starts all the way back at the beginning of time like Genesis 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the word, the word, the word that it was translated word, it's this Greek word, logos. And it is the expression or the declaration of a thought. Skip down to verse 14. And the word was made flesh. What's he talking about? Jesus. And he dwelt among us. He's trying to get this point across to the readers and to us today. Jesus is the word, the logos. The living word. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Look how the message Bible words, John 1 14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son generous inside and out true from start to finish John's book is known as the book of belief because all throughout his book he keeps saying believe, belief he, he says and they believed and, and he believed and 
This he did so they would believe. And he that believeth on him shall inherit eternal life. And John's book is full of believe, belief, believeth. 99 times he uses the word believe, belief. The other thing that he seems to be obsessed with is love. He uses the word love 39 times in the Gospel of John, 34 times in his epistles, and 8 times in Revelation. So John mentions love 81 times in his writings of Scripture. There are different kinds of love. It's all translated love to us in our English words, but... Um, John uses all different but his, his favorite one to use was agape God's love for us God's perfect love a love that we as humans can't even give like we have to let God give that love through us we're not even capable of a perfect love so we receive that and we give that that was John's favorite love to talk about so John wants you to believe in the power of love. John would write a book that would transform the world. It would change the way we think about God. But first, he had to be transformed himself. Hey, what? Wait. What do you mean he had to be transformed himself? John the beloved? John the apostle of love? But if you go look at it and read about it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give us a different view of John. Like, it's kind of funny. You go look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and look at John and his older brother James. Look at what they had to say about him. There are several different things in there that don't look like love. In fact, it looks like John and his brother James were hotheads. Jesus' nickname for them was Sons of Thunder. Because they lost their temper so much. Like they got so upset. So the apostle of love, it looks like he's got an anger problem. Mark in his gospel calls James and John uh, Boerges. Which is being translated the sons of thunder or rage. That word being translated is rage. If rage is your nickname, like that's, that's pretty bad. That's what Mark wrote down. That's what Mark called him was rage. I've got a video here. Rabbi. Ah, you couldn't wait, could you? Well, sorry, we just uh, wanted to clear a few things up, if that's okay. By all means. You Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you, too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. Don't lift a finger. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, Big James. Shalom to you, too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet. Let us do something. And what would that achieve? Defending your honor. They reviled and humiliated you. They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain down and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire? You said we could do things like that. Say the word and it will happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work, Melek's field? What was I trying to teach you? To help? You think it was just to be more helpful? Or to be better farmers? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? These people that you hate so much are believing in me without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. 
And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? What, you're so much better? You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Rabbi. As we gather others, I need you to help show the way. To be humble. We will. You wanted to use the power of God to bring down fire, to burn these people up? Well, it sounds a lot worse when you say it that way. like a storm on the sea. Come on. Thunder exploding out of your chests at every turn. <laughs> In fact, that's what I'm going to call you from now on. James and John, the sons of thunder. So James and John, the sons of thunder, right? They didn't even think they, they were angry. Remember, this is John, the apostle of love. And we know that John and his brother, they had some other anger problems, that they were prejudiced towards the Samaritans a couple of times. They were very competitive. John was competitive with the other disciples to the point of, Jesus having to get on to them. They, they felt like they were better than the other disciples. One time, John's mom, John and James's mom, showed up to Jesus and tried to ask him for a favor that her boys sit on his right and his left hand. And Jesus is like, y'all don't even know what you're asking, guys. Y'all don't even get it. What are y'all doing? Can, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Jesus said to them, and they were like, yeah, we can. We got this. This is John. He was kind of cocky, competitive, had an anger problem, thought he was better than everybody and wanted to call down fire on all the people that were less than and let the other disciples serve him. And yet, John is known as John the Beloved, John the one that Jesus loved, John the Apostle of love. Somebody needs to know today that people can change. Somebody came today just to hear that. That if you get close to Jesus and you get around Jesus, people can change. John was completely and totally transformed by the power of Jesus. And from being in relationship with Jesus. See, he got a revelation of how much he was loved. Like, I am loved. I am so much so that as he was writing as an old man, looking back on this 50 years later, as he was writing, he couldn't even write down his own name. He just wrote down the one that Jesus loved. Man, when Peter and the one that Jesus loved... as he reflected and he wrote it down. He had a revelation of how much he was loved. I am convinced that you don't need to love God more. I think a lot of times as Christians we start, we think I just gotta love God more. I need to love God more. I gotta pray harder, I gotta do more, I gotta love God more. And that's not what you need. You need a greater revelation of the love that God has for you. See, Peter, 
Peter was loving God more. God, I love you more than all of these. God, I'll never betray you. God, I'll never walk away. God, even if they all do, I won't. It's me, 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 my love for you. It's what I can do for you. And John was the disciple that Jesus loved. Not the disciple that loved Jesus. You see the difference? John got a revelation somewhere along the way. He loves me. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Get back over here to my notes. He loves me. You know, me knowing that God loves me is more important than my love for Him. I'm not saying you shouldn't love God. I'm not saying my love for God doesn't grow because it does daily. But it does no good if I don't know that He loves me. And as I did uh, the study of the life of John and I look at the life of John, I, I see that that was a major key and I've never really noticed that before. Was that John, he, he lived out of this place, especially as he got older and after the cross and as he helped build the church and he traveled around with Peter and, and he wrote these epistles. If you go read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you see that he's living out of this place that's, that's animated and motivated by love. It's, it's living out of this place of knowing that I am loved. It's a confidence that if you know you are loved, Jesus loved them all. Jesus loved all the disciples, but John believed it. Peter wanted to make it about his love for Jesus. And that's why Peter needed restoration. Remember we looked at two weeks ago that that's what we looked at was Peter and how Jesus had to come back and restore him and ask him three times, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter needed restoration. John was still following. John never stopped following when things got real hard. John never stopped chasing Jesus when things didn't turn out like he thought they would. He was still at the foot of the cross. And when Jesus was restoring Peter, remember who was following? John was following right behind him because when Jesus tried to tell Peter, come follow me, and then Peter said, well, what about him? Because John never stopped following. John wasn't afraid. That's why fear controlled Peter when things got really bad. Remember, Peter got scared. He denied Jesus. He ran and hid. Peter was afraid. Because John tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. See, John had this revelation on love, so he was not afraid. That's why he was the only one standing at the foot of the cross. That's why he was the only one following Jesus into the inner courtyard for the trial. That's why John never ran. Because perfect love casts out fear. What is perfect love? Agape love. God's love. John's favorite kind of love to write about. The perfect love. Remember when uh, John the Baptist, different John, baptized Jesus and he, when he came up out of the water that, that God showed up and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the son that I love. This is what that means. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then 40 days in the wilderness and the devil shows up to tempt Jesus. And remember what the devil said? If thou be the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. See, he even let Jesus have that, like, okay, if you're the Son of God, then do this and this and that. But you notice the devil left out the beloved part, the loved part. He left that part out. He leaves out beloved. See, lots of people believe that they're a son or a daughter. They believe that they're saved. And they would say that they love God. Maybe this is you. But they don't really believe that He loves them. 
that they're beloved. You're beloved. And that gives fear a place that keeps you from running your race, keeps you from being all that God wants you to be. When fear comes in, then you need restoration and you run and hide like Peter. And then Jesus always chases you. He always finds you and comes after you. But you're taking all these different detours because you don't know that you are loved, that you are beloved. When you know that someone loves you, it gives you great confidence. That's the number one thing that it does. Psychologically, if you know that someone else loves you, it gives you confidence. So what if you know that the all-powerful creator of the universe that never lost a battle like we just sang, what if you knew that he loved you? What kind of confidence would that give you? To live this life and take a step of faith and to run after your purpose and to serve your fellow man. It gives you confidence to dance your dance. Or as Paul would say, to run your race. See, Paul likened our Christian walk to a race. And we as Christians are instructed to run. So according to Paul, we are saved by grace in Ephesians 2.8. But he also says, run to win. That means that you can be saved and lose. Or you can be a saved loser. There's a lot of saved losers out there. None, not y'all, I'm talking about y'all, people that aren't here today. You know, all those ones that are traveling and stuff. <laughs> like half the church seems to be traveling here. I'm kidding. I think we've all been there. Saved and going to heaven, but not winning our race. Not winning right now. Not winning in this moment. Healing doesn't just happen. Especially if it's a deep wound, you need help. That's why we go to the hospital if it's real bad. Right? If it's just a little scratch, okay, it'll just heal up. But if it's bad, you need help. You need somebody that knows what they're doing. You need to be in relationship. You need to pay a doctor. We're supposed to run for something. And I think as Christians, a lot of times we've gotten this wrong. As Christians, we were never called to run from bad things. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to look like. I'm going to spend my whole life running away from everything bad. I'm going to run away from alcoholism and I'm going to run away from pornography and I'm going to run away from... We're not, we were never called to run away from bad things. We were called to run multiple times in the Bible, but we're called to run two good things. We're not supposed to spend our time running from bad things. As Christians, we're supposed to run to the good, not run from the bad. Except there is one exception. In the New Testament, there's two or three scriptures that say we are supposed to run from sexual sin, flee lust. That's the only thing we're instructed to run from. We're called to run this race looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. Looking at the prize, we chase purpose. Jesus' message to the disciplined ones or the disciples is, Come, follow me, or you could say, chase me. So do we fight? Yes. But we fight for good, not against bad. It's very simple, but it changes everything. Yeah, we're called to put on the full armor of God and fight, not against bad, not against other people that we disagree with. We're called to fight for something, not against something. If you're fighting for something, you're driven by love. If you're fighting against something, you're driven by hate. And Jesus never called his people to be driven by hate. See, if I'm fighting against someone or something, I'm driven by my hatred or my dislike for that thing, that person, that country, that whatever. 
But if I'm fighting for something, I'm driven by love. This is what John figured out somewhere along the way. We should be motivated by love. John was a fighter, and he learned to be driven by love. Remember at first, like think about that video, he, that's what he knew was to be driven by his hate. Feel like you're doing the right thing. Hey God, let me call down some fire to defend your honor. But he learned to be driven by love. I think we got one more short video I wanted to show you. Are you lost, sir? What I gotta do to play? Mr. Cruz, you do not want to know the answer to that question. Now, as I was saying, as a team, we shot 56% from the line. From now on, before you leave my gym, you must pay an exit price of 50 made free throws before you can go. That's everybody. That's a lot of free throws. Okay, Mr. Cruz, before you can play on this team, you owe me 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 suicides. Damn. Damn. Oh, and they must be completed by Friday. Today's flavor. Offense. Now we're talking. Now I have a sister. Her name is Linda. Linda is smart. She's political. Well, actually, she's radical. Linda's got a big afro. Linda is our pick and roll offense. Before we get into that, let's warm up. Give me a layup line. Let's go. Battle. I got him. I got him right here, right here. I'm open. I'm open. I'm out. I'm out. Come on. Just get it. Just get it. Oh. They call out them picks. Yeah, yeah. All right. See ya. Right, Move up. Give up, Mr. Cruz. Go home. Ah. You know your task is impossible before Friday, right? Move! Work it, work it! Run it back! Mr. Cruz, I'm impressed with what you've done, but you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do some. I'll run suicides too.
left. Go to war, Miss Margaret. This is a tight one. Let's go, let's go. Linda, 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 Linda. Flash the pig, flash the pig. I got ball. Stop the ball, stop the ball. It's not there, it's not there. Get the hole, get the hole. Watch it. The task he was given was impossible. Right? Mr. Cruz had made some mistakes and gotten kicked off the team. And the, the task that the coach gave him to be a part of the team, it was humanly impossible for him to get that done in that amount of time. But he wanted to be a part of something bigger than himself. And he gave it all he had. And where he fell short, his teammates picked up the slack. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Some of y'all disqualify yourself because you've made some mistakes or it's impossible or I can't do that or I can't do what God's called me to do or I can't walk through this situation that I'm faced with because of this or that or I'm not... You can fill in the blank to fit your situation. But I'm pretty sure we've all been in or we are in a spot right now to where it's pretty easy to disqualify ourselves. It's easy to say, that's impossible. I just can't be a part of this team. I guess I'll leave. Instead of running. Running toward purpose. Look at 1 John 4, 7. Look at what John wrote here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, or this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Message Bible words it like this, My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know Him if you don't love. This is how God showed His love for us. God sent His only Son into the world so we might live through Him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I can't believe what they did to Jesus. They killed him. No. It's what we did. It was my sin. It's us. You know it's hard or almost impossible to hate us. It's easy to hate them. 
you separate yourself from a different group of people or a different race of people or a different kind. It's real easy to hate them. But it's hard to hate us. The power of resurrection is love. John knew this and he wrote all about it. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every time I open my heart to love, I'm transformed from death to life. Jude 1.21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't make excuses. If I'm not good enough or I don't measure up or I can't reach the standard. It's not about that. Well, I can't win the race. So why run it all? I can't make the team. I don't have good enough cardio. I, I, I'm not. Excuses will keep you out when love already bought you a ticket in. There was a race on Easter morning over 2,000 years ago. We read about it in John 20. This was one of the most famous races in history, a foot race. Then she runneth, who Mary Magdalene went and found out that Jesus was risen. And so then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. And said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we know not where they laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the tomb. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the tomb. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying yet went he not in so John he wants to make sure he lets us know that immediately they both took off running as fast as they could him and Peter and he wants us to know that he beat Peter there he beat Peter to the tomb and if you, I went and looked it up and it was roughly a thousand meters from the room where the disciples were held up in that upper room to where the tomb would have been so this was a thousand meter race and John wants us to know that he beat Peter. Well, you know, in my studies, I've found out, and you may have already known this, that John was the youngest of the disciples. And so at this time, the time of the crucifixion, John was right around 20 years old. Peter was the oldest of the disciples. And at this time, Peter was 40. So that would be like me and Malachi having a thousand meter race. Who you think is going to win? Probably not the 40-year-old. But John was proud of his accomplishment that he beat Peter. But then he got there and he was scared to go in. And we see that Peter just barrels on in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the tomb. And he seeth the linen cloths lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself then went in also the other disciple which came first the one that I'll beat him here I was here first make sure y'all remember that I want to let y'all know I beat him here and he saw and believed he believed John wanted us to know that he won the race even though he was 20 and Peter was 40. But the power of resurrection is that when they got there, when they ran that race, and I'm glad they ran to the tomb, and I'm glad we have that story, and I'm glad they found out that Jesus was risen, and I'm glad that they wrote it down, and, and we've learned so much from this story, and I'm, I'm so glad that John and Peter ran that day. Right? But the power of resurrection is that when they got there, the work was done. Like he was already risen.
by the one that loves me. Jesus gets asked a question of, by the religious leaders of why do you hang out with sinners? Man, why are you following after these people? These, these people aren't worthy. Why would you go and sit with these people? Why would you eat dinner with these people? Why would you minister to these people? That was their questions. And he tells a story. Actually, he tells three stories. And the third one is about a race. And we're going to end with this. You may be thinking, a race? I thought it was about the prodigal son. It's about a race. Luke 15. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. In the interest of time, I want to wrap it up. Um, you all probably know the story of the prodigal son. The first story Jesus told in response to those questions was about a shepherd that had 100 sheep and he had 99 and one got lost and he went in search of the one. And then the second story was about a woman with the 10 coins and she lost a coin and she turned on lights and lit candles. And, and each time there was a great rejoicing or celebration when the lost was found. And then Jesus tells this third story. And I know you've heard the story before of the prodigal son. It was about a father with two boys. And the one son, the younger of the two boys, asked for his inheritance. And he said, Dad, I, I just want my inheritance. I want out. I want to go live my life. I want to do what I want to do. And, and so the dad says, okay. And, and the dad gives him the money and the boy leaves and does all kinds of stuff with the money. He just went wild. He went crazy. He spent the money on women and girls and who knows what and until he lost it all. And he found himself broke, searching for food, starving. He got a job feeding pigs. And if you think about the audience that Jesus was telling this to, like that would have been feeding pigs. See, they believe pigs were unclean. They weren't allowed to eat pork. They weren't allowed to be around them, touch them. Any, and this, this kid had to get a job. That was like the lowest of the low. That he would even be doing that for a living. And, and then Jesus even throws in the story, I think, to just make sure he gets them all. He says that he was so hungry that he started looking at the pig food and the corn cobs floating in the pig slop started looking good. And he wanted to eat it, but he wasn't even allowed. That's pretty low. And I got some pigs and sometimes I get some great buckets of slop from the highland. And when I dump it out there for the pigs, they love it. And if it sat out there for a day in the sun and it got rotten, they like it even more. But to think about the fact, think about being so hungry that when I dumped that out, I wanted to eat it like I was longing to just pick up something out of that and eat it. That's pretty bad. That's a low place. That's where this boy was. I'm going to read you the rest of the story. That brought him to his senses. You ever hit rock bottom? Had anything in your life that brought you to your senses? <clears throat> he said, all those farmhands working for my father, they sit down to three meals a day. And here am I starving to death. I'm going back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I, I've sinned against God and I've sinned before you and I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. I, I'll just be a servant. And he got right up. And he went home to his father. And when he was still a long way off. Pay attention to that. He was a long way off. His father saw him. His heart pounding. Why, why was his heart pounding? He ran. But to us that doesn't mean a lot. But this was crazy. When Jesus said that, the people in the crowd and the people in the audience listening would have said, the father ran because men did not run in their time. For a man to run, you know, they wore long robes. So for a man to run, 
he would literally have to pull up his robe and they would pull it up and then they would tie it, tie like a strap under their legs to hold the robe up and it would show your legs. It would show your thighs. And that was a disgrace, an embarrassment. A man would not run. See, we know that fast runners wear the shorty shorts. One, I wish Tristan was here. I was going to mess with him during this part, but he's not here. So, uh, One time I went to enter a 5K in Carrollton, and me and Benny and Philip entered this 5K on the green belt in Carrollton, and I had really been training and working on my cardio, and I was hoping to do good. And this particular 5K had a $1,000 prize for the first winner, so I had convinced myself that I had a shot at that 1000 bucks. I had really, me and Benny had been training together, and I, I was feeling pretty good about it. And we were standing there, and I'll never forget, they're standing there waiting to go, and my heart's pounding, and we're waiting on the, there's people all around, this big crowd of people, and this guy standing next to me that I didn't know at the time. Now I know him. Didn't know at the time, kind of a bigger, muscular guy. He looks over at me and said, hey, man. I said, what? Oh, he's talking to me. What? And he said, you know we're not going to win this race, right? I'm like, what? Why would you say that? And he said, our shorts are too long. And I was wearing basketball shorts down past my knees. And you know, he was right. You know who won? Some dude with some shorty shorts. <laughs> Wasn't me. I did beat Benny and Philip though. <laughs> it's the first and the last time ever. <laughs> Now, I, I forgot what, oh, men didn't run. Got a little sidetracked. Men didn't run in that day. So when Jesus said that the father saw the son from a long way off and he ran, they would have been like, what? He ran? He hiked up his robe? This was crazy. It was shameful, embarrassing. It was considered a disgrace. And you see, you probably think about dad sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair. And he's looking down his long, winding driveway, and he sees the sun turning in by the mailbox coming down, right? I mean, probably how you picture it in your mind. And that would be a very Western way of thinking about it. We see back then they lived in communities and villages. So there would be no house off by its own because that wouldn't be safe. So they lived in these com communities and villages and then they would have a city gate. So everyone that came into the city would have to come through that gate, through the city council, would sit at the gate. The elders of the city would sit at the gate. And you come in the gate. If you needed to go out, you went out the gate. If they had trial or held court, it would be held at the gate of the village, the gate of the city. Let me finish reading and we're going to talk about that. The father ran out and embraced him and kissed him and the son... <clears throat> started his speech father I've sinned against God I've sinned before you I don't deserve to be called your son ever again but the father wasn't even listening he didn't care he was calling to the servants quick bring a clean set of clothes and dress him put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet then get a grain fed heifer and roast it we're going to feast we're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here. Given up for dead and now alive. Given up, from, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. I thought you said the last story Jesus told was about a race it was because the part I want to focus on as we close the message is the dad running for the boy Dr. Kenneth Bailey is a New Testament scholar who has written extensively about reading the gospels or the teachings of Jesus through the eyes of the Jews and the people that Jesus was speaking to in their culture he writes about how the Talmud or 
the Jewish law going all the way back to Moses, there was a ceremony or a law. They would consider this a law that all of the listeners would have known was at play here. And the law stated that if you married someone outside of your people, like if you married a Gentile, your family said, absolutely not, you cannot marry this person, or this is, no, if you did that, or if you lost your inheritance to the Gentiles, then this law was in place. And all the listeners would have known what was going on here. It was a ceremony called Keza. So with Keza, they would have known that the son left and he lost his inheritance to the Gentiles. So now by law, he would have to come back to the gate where the elders would be sitting. And the elders would have a clay pot outside the gate. And so as the boy would come to the gate, the elders knew that he had gone and lost his inheritance. So now he would have to stand trial at the city gate to see if he was welcome to come back into the city. So now knowing this and knowing about this ceremony, it makes sense why the boy was coming up with this ridiculous speech. Because he had to talk his way back into the city. I don't want to be a son. I I just want to be a servant in my father's house. And and I don't have to be a son. I don't want any part. I'm not going to own anything. I don't want to own a business here in the city. Or I just want to be a servant. Came up with his little speech. But they would meet him at the gate. And then they would make their decision. And if it was determined that the boy had indeed lost his inheritance to the Gentiles, then the head elder would stand up with a clay pot and they would walk up in front of the boy. They would smash the clay pot on the ground and they would yell, You are cut off from your people! And he was never allowed to step foot back in the village. He was cut off. No matter what he did, no matter what he said, Anyone in the village that even spoke to him, that gave him a meal or helped him, was now by law in trouble. This was the ceremony that the boy was coming home to. And the community would totally reject him. So he knew that even before he even got to his father, he would have to face Keza. So he was working on that dumb little speech. I don't even want to be a son. Uh, Oh, wait, I forgot one part of the law or the ceremony. The father wasn't allowed to attend. Like dad wasn't even allowed to come to the trial. You know why? Because the blessing of the father trumped Keza by law. The father's blessing trumped Keza. The mom was allowed to attend and plead for her boy, but back then the woman's word didn't hold that much weight, and so they didn't care. They could make whatever decision they wanted. But the father wasn't allowed to attend. So if the boy got there and they started the ceremony, if they got to the boy and they start the ceremony, dad, by law, has to go back in the house. He can't say anything. He can't come. This is why he ran. This is why the dad was looking. He was waiting because he had to get to his boy before his boy got to Keza. Because if he could get to him first, it didn't matter what he had done. If he could get to him first, it didn't matter what the leaders of the city thought should happen and what justice will be served. It didn't matter if he could beat him there. This is why. He had to get to his boy before his boy got to Keza. And then notice as soon as the father got to him, it says he turned to the servants and he said, give me the robe, give me the family ring, give me the shoes to put on his feet. And he dresses him and he puts the family ring on him. What's he doing? He's restoring him. And he's making a statement that says, this is my boy and he has a place. 
There will be no Keza here today. I made it to my boy. He said, kill the fatted calf. Because tonight, instead of Keza, we party. The minute you decide to come home, he or grace interrupts what you deserve. God interrupts your brokenness, your shame, your shortcomings, your fear. Maybe you didn't have the blessing of an earthly father. But I want you to know today that God ran for you. When you were far away, he saw you coming. And there was a ceremony, there was a price that you could not pay because of sin. And he paid the price before you even got there. Maybe you feel like the jury already made a decision. Maybe you feel like you've you've been canceled. But that's not true. Nothing you have done could disqualify you. I'm telling you today that God already ran on your behalf. Revelation 13 says Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. What does that mean? You know how the Father said, I've been killed a fatted calf. You know, that means you've been preparing a calf. You say, go, it's not like us, we drive down to the grocery store and buy a pack of steaks. I grow pigs. Well, if I decide to have a celebration, I don't say just go kill a pig and just go grab one. No, you've been raising that thing for months or a year before it's ready. The father was making preparations and planning, preparing the sacrifice for the return of his son. And Jesus got Keza on the cross. And we get welcome home. And John, he figured this out. And he wrote about it. And he went around teaching about it. And he lived out of this place. To know that you are loved gives you confidence. Confidence to do what? To run. I've seen myself... As both of the sons, when I've read this story, the one judgmental son that stayed home, and there have been times where I've seen myself as the prodigal son that really messed up, and, and I've seen myself as the father. But this time, I guess since we're in this Follow Me series, and Jesus' message and example is, come follow me or chase me and, and serve. See, this time I saw myself as one of the servants chasing the father see because they had to be chasing him when he ran they were chasing him as he ran through the city trying to get to his boy before before Keza the servants had to be right behind the father running because it says when he got to the son he turned and said put a robe on him put shoes on him here give me the family ring so guess what that tells me the servants were running right behind dad running hard and this time I, I saw myself as one of the servants. Because that's what I want to do. And I want to run in step with the Father. The one that loved me first. And so when He makes it to the broken or when He makes it to someone that needs to be restored, I'm the one that He turns to and says, Hey, bless them. Hey, cover her. Hey, Put the family ring on his finger and let him know he's a part of something bigger. Put shoes on his feet because his walk's messed up. That's the part I want to play. What do I got to do? Run. I can't save him. But he can. And he did. And I'm going to run. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Minister to people. Restore people. Jesus also said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the gospel? 
to know that you are loved and love. Romans 5.8 says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. John 3.16 For God so loved me that he gave his only son. Let this love animate you. Let this love motivate you. Know that you are loved. And now you can chase after the Father that loved you first. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thanks for speaking to our hearts and our minds. Thank you. Thanks for being John's friend so that he got a revelation of who you are and that he could teach us through the scriptures who you are. It's because of your friendship with a wild and crazy angry boy like John that we now know you are love. Thanks for not giving up on him. And thanks for not giving up on me. God, I love you. And I'm so grateful that you love me. Help me to live out of that place. Help me to live and run with confidence. Knowing that I am loved. Knowing who I am. In Jesus' name. Amen.